Hi, everybody. A quick message before we begin today's podcast. We have just released a free mini training called How to Work with Labor Pain to Have a Positive Birth Experience. Stay tuned for the end of the episode for more information. Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Welcome back to uh, the podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about fixing up your sleep, and I can't wait to dive right in. My guest today is Dr. Leah Saunders. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and talk all things sleep. (laughs) I think it's so important for us to be able to talk about this because so many of us struggle and it's like, what's happening and how do I make this better? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm here. (laughs) So I'm really curious about like, Obviously, like let our listeners let our listeners know who you are, but I'm also really interested in like what got you so interested in sleep for women. Sure. So I'm Dr. Leah and I'm a naturopathic doctor. I am absolutely obsessed with helping women get a better night's sleep because if you're not sleeping, you're not healing. And when you are exhausted from tossing and turning all night, you can't show up in the day and do what sets your soul on fire. You can't do what you are here to do. And often you're actually resenting and, and feeling frustrated about what you're trying to do in the day when you're in that constant state of exhaustion. So my story is familiar and very common in that when I became a new mom, I knew I was going to experience sleep disruption and disturbances, but I didn't anticipate how much of an impact it was going to have on my physical and mental health. So the classic, you know, my son went through a three to four month sleep regression at the same time I was returning back to work and I was trying to juggle all the things like we all try to do. So being self-employed meant I was back to work at that point. I was also running a clinic, my own practice, trying to adjust to work as a new, um, or a life as a new mom. And obviously still find, try to find some time for myself. And I was really struggling. And at one point, a colleague recognized that and said, you know, are you okay? You're, you're not, you don't seem like yourself. And in a moment of complete transparency, I was like, you know what? I'm not okay. I'm not okay because I can't remember the last time I slept for more than an hour and a half. And it's not normal to be trying to juggle all of these things while trying to pump breast milk between patient visits (laughs) and, and still have it all together and be functioning on literally no to little sleep. And her response to me while it was very well intended was, well, other women do it. And her intention I now know was to say like, you can do it too, push through, like we'll figure it out. But since then I've come to realize how many women 
assume that they have to suffer in sleeplessness and exhaustion because they're a mom, because they're a busy executive, because they have stuff to do during the day. And often that pushes them into the night. And what I started to recognize in my patients was that the women who are getting better or who were in to optimize their health were great sleepers. And those who I had to continuously see and work with long-term and had really resistant, um, care, like their, their conditions weren't responding well to what we would typically use. We're also the people who struggled with sleep. And then I kind of jumped down this rabbit hole to get my own sleep back on track and did so much research and listened to all the podcasts and started then like writing articles for our, our, actually our national association of naturopathic doctors. And I presented to our provincial association of naturopathic doctors on this topic, because now I see how important it is for women and, and bridging out into other aspects of healthcare. Like truly, if our patients or clients aren't sleeping, our work that we're trying to do with them is always going to be limited. hundred percent. Like I, I definitely like as a pelvic health physio, like I'm asking, you know, how's sleep? What does sleep look like for you? Right. Because if you aren't getting a good night's sleep, or maybe you're going to bed late, you're not really optimizing on like the specific processes and hormones and things that are happening when we're sleeping for regeneration, for, you know, rest, digestion, immune function. And I was like, you know, it's going to be really hard for you also to have the energy to like do the exercises and the things that are needed in order for you to overcome whatever physical um, symptoms you're experiencing, like in my context of mm-hmm. practice, right? But like we recognize like sleep is going to be so important. Totally. And I think often we recognize it, but also try to segment it. So we think like, oh, my sleep has nothing to do with my pelvic floor. Why are you asking me that question? But we know that your ability to heal and repair and regenerate, just like you said, to manage your stress hormones, to decrease inflammation, all has to do with how well you're sleeping. And so it's, it's so important because I think we're starting, actually, I know we're starting to really understand how much sleep impacts our health. And truly there's no aspect of our health that sleep does not impact. Oh, hundred percent. And I'll, I'll also say to clients, like, if you're not sleeping, your cup is already really quite full and you're going to be, let's just say a little bit more agitated, perhaps like it's not going to take much for the cup to overflow. And if you're stressed and overwhelmed, that's tension in your body. In Mm -hmm. most, in most cases, there's going to be this underlying tension that you may or may not even be aware of. And like, how is your pelvic floor going to move optimally through full range of motion when you're tense and like, just trying to grit through the day. And I'm just going to I'm going to push through. I'm going to make it through. Well, all of your muscles are going to have some level of tension held to them. And so Mm -hmm. then blood flow is going to decrease to those muscles and like things are not going to be optimized. And, you know, then you have the leak and then you're like, oh, that's it. I'm like, you know, overwhelmed right there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, very, very very It is a very important point to make because I think we also underestimate one, how much sleep we well, we actually overestimate how much sleep we get. So if we ask people, how much sleep do you think you're, you get, they often will do one of two things, either assume 
that the amount of time they spend in bed actually equates to the same amount of sleep. So like, oh, I go to bed at 11 and I get up at six. So I get seven hours of sleep. Well, actually there's only ever a percentage of that time that we want you to be asleep in bed. And and ideally it's higher than about 85%. So I, but there's always going to be some time that you spend in bed awake, right? So ideally you fall asleep fast, asleep throughout the night, but then wake up feeling rested. So when we compare what people report to actually tracking their sleep, either in a sleep lab, or even with something like a, a fitness tracker or sleep tracker, there is often a difference. So people will then say, wow, I am actually not getting as much sleep as I thought. And will sleep sleep deprivation, I'm using air quotes here, uh, come into effect when you're getting less than seven hours of sleep per night. So that's not that much, right? Like when we think about the word or phrase sleep deprivation, people are probably thinking like three, four, maybe five hours of sleep. But the average person in the population is not getting more than seven hours on a consistent basis. And when you do get less than seven hours, we see hormones like cortisol be much higher at morning baseline than they would be if you get more sleep and how that plays into what you just described, Madeline was like, okay, so you wake up with this high amount of cortisol compared to if you were more rested and then cortisol just ends up pumping you full of other stress hormones like adrenaline. And when you're stressed, that manifests as physical reactions in your body, just like you're saying, that could be clenching your jaw, holding your shoulders really tight or tensing your pelvic floor. Yeah. But I'm going to be, I, I can hear the like, but, but Leah, um, I sleep five hours and I'm like, great. Like I'm like, psh, good to go. Uh, I tend to hear that like from, I, I mean, I tend to hear that more frequently from men than I do from women, but that's not to say that I haven't heard it from women. Like, no, I'm really great. Like I can do five hours. So like, what about those people who air quote, you know, say like, I'm great on less than, you know, like if I sleep four hours straight, like I'm good to go. Are they, is that, is that like, how does that, how does that work? Yeah, it's a great question. So one of two things, either they're on that end of an outlier. Cause every, anytime we have statistics, there's always the outliers or the exceptions who are like, yeah, maybe you actually do great on four to five or six hours of sleep. What is more likely is that you think you are doing okay on that little sleep. And that could be because you're compensating. So you're compensating by over caffeinating, for example, during the day, or, um, you are just so accustomed to the way that you feel that it's become your new normal. And you actually don't know how good you could feel, which is my favorite thing that patients tell me. We're like, I actually didn't know it was possible to feel this good. I actually forgot that I used to feel like this 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever it is. And, um, in those cases, when you're like, no, I actually am, you're convinced that you're fine. I would question your other aspects of health. So for example, there's a strong correlation between sleep deprivation, which again, is just getting less than seven hours of sleep and an increased risk of cardiovascular disease and metabolic disease. So how's your blood sugar? How's your blood pressure? Those are things that you don't feel. And if you are struggling with weight, if you're, if you have a family history of cardiovascular disease, yeah, maybe you actually feel fine because again, it's your, your new metric or new normal. But if we actually do a deep dive on some of these metrics that we can't know, unless we actually do the investigation, right. 
typically people don't feel that their blood pressure is high unless it's really high. Typically people don't know that their blood sugar is a problem until we are doing the blood work to determine that. So I would, I would be willing to, to bet and put money down on it that if we find evidence that there's dysfunction in another part of your body and you're not sleeping well, improving your sleep is only going to help improve that aspect too. Okay. Good to know. Right. Like, cause people will say this to me all the time and I'm like, Oh, like, you know, what I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, cause I'm not a naturopathic doctor. I don't look at blood work or those kinds of things. I just kind of like, oh, okay, well, if you feel rested and you feel good and like it's working for you, like, but now it's like, huh. Okay. Now I got something to think about and be mm-hmm. like, huh, maybe we could make you feel even better. Yeah. And it's a choice is ultimately, that's what I would say is like, do you actually feel you are feeling your best, your optimal self with that little sleep? And if yes, then that's fantastic. Please tell me your secret. Yeah. (laughs) But if not, if there's truly, and honestly, some other aspect of your health that you are working on or have a goal around, then I do, I do believe and know that there would be opportunity there for sure. Perfect. I want to chat about why women are more prone to having issues with sleep. Mm -hmm. It's so fantastic. I love talking about this. So it's very interesting. We see a couple of different patterns. So basically sleep architecture, which refers to, you know, those different stages of sleep and how we move through sleep cycles will appear the same in boys and girls, males and females until the age of puberty. And then if we track women and females from a younger age over the course of their lifetime, we see that sleep architecture starts to change in women starting at the age around the age of puberty, which suggests that there's a hormonal interplay. So that's one piece is that as women or people with ovaries, we have different hormone cascades and fluctuations than men. So that's one part that we start to understand. And then the job is to untangle to say, okay, well, how might these hormones impact sleep or how might our different life stages also impact sleep? And we'll see a couple of different things. So one being pregnancy does impact sleep for different reasons. Some of it being like physical discomfort and bladder compression. And then of course there's the postpartum period, which is a period that, like I shared at the beginning, many women experience that disturbance and disruption. And it's what we call, um, a precipitating factor. So it's like one of those things, it's like a trigger, but then it becomes perpetual. So I hear like, I've never slept well since having kids, regardless of how old that woman actually is. So even if your kids are, are adolescent or even older, and you truly have slept not slept the same since then I still look at that hormone change because there's an activation of something called our HPA axis, our hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which is basically our brain sensing stress, engaging our adrenal glands, which are what pump out cortisol and adrenaline to say, Hey, there's a potential threat here, figure out what that is and please respond to it like now. So you've experienced this. If you have been driving down the hallway and you, the high, I would say that driving down the highway and you see flashing lights in your rear view mirror and that instant elevation in your heart rate and the butterflies in your stomach being like, is this for me? That's how fast 
that's, it never is right. So that's how fast your adrenal glands can react to a stress. And so that's actually appropriate when you have a new baby that's crying, especially when they're crying during the night and you're asleep, your nervous system is on high alert. It's hyper vigilant because it's appropriate for you to be disturbed and to respond to, it's not a threat, but it's like a call to action. Right. But what happens is like during that postpartum period where maybe we used to be supported by multiple women, our moms, our grandmothers, our aunts, our nieces, our other daughters, like now we're not. And now maybe we're still trying to work or go back to work early or like me do a huge home renovation when your baby is born, or I don't know, a global pandemic, like all of these things. Right. And so that level of stress isn't at, isn't as low as ideal. And so then after a period of time, we should move out of that activation, that hyper arousal, and that stress level should go down. And that hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis should lower and it shouldn't be on that high alert, right? It should just be there every now and then when something happens, like, oh, the flashing lights are actually for you. (laughs) So then in that case, it's like, I do find clinically that women often report it's like never, never well since having kids, never slept well since having kids because of that. And so then we focus our treatment on regulating that part of their physiology. So that's one piece. Then we'll see, we move into perimenopause and menopause often earlier than women want to acknowledge or accept. So the average age for perimenopause is around 45, but women often start experiencing symptoms as soon as age like 38 to 40. And this can show up as, as many different symptoms, but one of the primary reasons women will go to their doctor in that life stage between perimenopause and menopause are sleep disruptions, mood, and hot flashes. So if we look at then that, then, and there's a beautiful graph that I've included in some of our presentations where it's like the incidence of sleep disturbances in women across a lifetime peaks substantially around menopause. So menopause being the full year after you've no longer menstruated outside of other reasons. So if you no longer menstruate because you have the IUD, like that doesn't count. Right. So Um, we'll see about 60% of women report sleep disturbances as they go through perimenopause and menopause. And that equates to almost two times as likely um, women being likely to experience sleep disruptions compared to men. And I actually think that number is probably underreported because we also see in the literature that doctors don't often ask and screen for sleep disorders unless it's brought as a forward as a concern. So many women accept that sleep disturbances just come par for the course with postpartum or perimenopause and menopause. So they suck it up and they are more likely to go to their doctor about their depression and anxiety or their hot flashes than sleep. So unless that concern is brought forward, which then becomes a double whammy because you have women not reporting it. And then you have doctors not asking about it. Yeah. I I mean, I would say very similarly, you know, what I expect with pelvic health issues, right? Nobody asks about like, are you leaking after having a baby? Well, they say one in four, or that was like the, I think the Canadian continent society. I can't remember how many years ago, but it's probably outdated. And I'm like, I don't know. I like suspect that number's probably a little bit higher than that because we're not asking. And like, 
I hear so often women come in and it's like, I just thought it was normal. I just came because it got worse. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, we could have mm-hmm. been doing something about this like a long time ago. Right. So um, as similar with sleep, right. We have these exactly. like things as women that we experience and we're just like, eh, okay, like we'll just sort of deal with it until of course those things cascade into other things that become really discomforting and intolerable. Then we report that. But meanwhile, it could have been like starting with not sleeping well and then inflammation. Mm-hmm. And now I have back pain and, or, you know, whatever the cascade is, right. We don't really l- look back to be like, what led me to here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You nailed it. Interesting. So is that why we, you know, we, as women ha- and, and specifically moms have this like mom somnia. I was just like, listen, guy, as you were talking about, like with a baby, I was like, yeah, you know what? Like I definitely notice I sleep lighter and thankfully that has improved now that my daughter is like older, but I still notice that like I'll wake up to like low frequency sound mm-hmm. or something. Like if she moans or shifts or something like that'll get my, att- it just gets my attention. Meanwhile, my husband could be literally on his phone on the couch falling asleep. Like I'll look over and he, like the phone's still on, like it's on whatever website and he's like dead sleeping. I'm like, how is this possible? <laughs> like I could never fall asleep sitting up, let alone literally in the middle of something. Yeah. I do think th- there is a big difference. I think there is a difference in how women internalize and process stress like that. And, um, as new moms, like you're saying, it's our systems that are hyper vigilant and hyper aroused. And then it often takes a conscious override, a conscious attempt and efforts to now say, okay, what is also causing me stress in the day that I have control over that I can help lower and I can help address, for example, tie into the fact that moms, especially new moms are often, you know, eating scraps off their kid's plate or not feeding themselves because they're just so exhausted (laughs) or so busy or so in demand that they're not eating well. And then that blood sugar is tanking and crashing. And then that in and of itself engages cortisol more and your adrenal glands to release that. And then that plays into how well you're able to relax and unwind and decompress and sleep. So yes, it is all interrelated and Um, it also means that we can do something about it. So this isn't like, oh, you're doomed. (laughs) Yeah. Right. There's actually like, we, that means we can also work on these things when we understand what's happening at a physiological level. Amazing. Can we chat a little bit more about sort of like you were saying hormones impact sleep, but then sleep can also impact hormones and like Cause I can see a loop here. Right. Mm-hmm. And, the, and then it's like, how did we get into this loop? And then like, how do we get out of this loop? Yeah, totally. So I've talked a lot already about cortisol and that hypothalamic adrenal pituitary axis being activated. So that's a main one that I'll often focus on with patients too. And people who go through my program is to say, okay, let's identify and, 
and look at what might be contributing to cortisol fluctuations during the day. It's appropriate for cortisol to go up and down the day, but in a specific pattern. So cortisol in and of itself isn't bad. It's just when it's too high at the, or too low at the inappropriate times. So for example, it should actually peak in the morning and help you get up and go. And then it should be at its lowest point in the evening before bed to allow melatonin to rise, which helps initiate and maintain sleep. So that's one big part. And then if we look at hormones like insulin, which is a a metabolic hormone that helps manage our blood sugar, if we haven't eaten appropriately throughout the day, well, when you're sleeping and in bed, you're fasting. And so if your blood sugar isn't able to be sustained, then it drops and then cortisol gets engaged. And that's a common reason why some women will wake up at 3am for no reason, again, air quotes. And it's because their blood sugar has tanked and then they have to, their body releases a bit of cortisol because one of the other roles that cortisol plays is to bring that blood sugar up. Then when we wake up in the morning after having disrupted sleep or short sleep, that cortisol level is elevated beyond what it should be. And that leaves us feeling a bit frenetic and chaotic and that like running around like a chicken with your head cut off kind of thing. So when our body is under chronic stress, I bring this back often to an evolutionary and primal perspective to say, when we exist with high levels of cortisol, our body truly doesn't know that it's because, you know, we're stressed about what we're seeing on the news and there's actually no immediate potential threat to us in that given moment, or we're literally being chased by a lion, tiger, or bear in this moment. So it's still the same. And you can imagine that your body wouldn't feel safe to reproduce if it's under chronic stress, because why would it be safe? Why would it be appropriate to use and access resources that may not be available or create life and bring that into the world if, if it's in a, in a chronic state of stress. So that's where we'll also see abnormalities and dysfunction start occurring in women's hormones, specifically the hormones like LH and FSH, which will regulate our menstrual cycle and time ovulation. And if we compare this then with like postpartum periods, it's a, it's a state when your progesterone, which is a hormone that typically feel helps us feel pretty good during pregnancy plummets dramatically in the first 24 to 72 hours after birth. And I heard a stat recently and it was like that window of hormone change is greater than if you added up like all the hormonal fluctuations over the course of a woman's lifetime. And then as we go through perimenopause and menopause, what we see is it is over time a decline in estrogen because as women were born with all of our eggs. And so it's that follicle development that produces estrogen. And then when that estrogen peaks and an egg is released, we can then produce progesterone. So we'll see irregularity in that start happening through the pre and perimenopausal phase of our life. And so it's these fluctuations often in those hormones, and then ultimately the decline in estrogen and progesterone that will impact sleep. And that can be done in a couple of different ways. So the obvious being like low estrogen can create hot flashes and night sweats for women. And sometimes that is what is waking a woman up at night. So we treat her night sweats and address that. And she sleeps great. But we also see plays like estrogen has a profound impact on our mood and it helps increase serotonin, which is our feel good hormone. So 
at different parts of your cycle, you can start tracking this. For example, women who are still, they're like, oh, I'm not there yet. Well, if even if you're still regularly menstruating, you can track this against your cycle to see, oh, when I am premenstrual or even menstrual, how's my sleep and how's my mood, right? Th- mm-hmm. Those are the phases when our estrogen is the lowest. Even now in my cycle, there's always typically one to three nights premenstrual where I'll have sleep disturbances and women come in all the time and they'll be like, Oh, every now and then for no reason, I just can't sleep through the night. I'm like, it's because of your cycle. And they're like, no, I don't think so. And I'm like, just track it and let's see. And they come back and they're like, it's because of my cycle. I'm like, yeah. And so part of it is, is then again, this isn't like, Oh, well you're doomed because your, your hormones are fluctuating. It's to say, Okay. Well now if I actually have the understanding of where I am in my menstrual cycle or life phase, then I can start layering in interventions. For example, if I'm premenstrual, I know I I have to be specific about my caffeine intake, intentional about my caffeine intake. Because if I have an afternoon coffee and I'm premenstrual and then I do work or have screen time before bed that night, like game over compared to being like, oh, I'm premenstrual. I really need to rein in my caffeine intake, keep it to a certain time in the morning. And maybe it's extra important that I do something for me in the evening to unwind and decompress. Wow. Yeah. I, it's just, it's like, man, we're complicated. Like our, our systems are like, but they're so magnificently complicated and they have its, it like has its own intelligence, but there's just like, there does seem to be a lot more moving parts and considerations for us ladies with, you know, obviously the, the ovaries and the, and the hormones associated with that. So um, I appreciate having a chat about that to like help, uh, like help me understand. Cause like, I'm kind of in that early, like I'm in that early age, age group. Right. So like in anticipation of these like changes and next phases, okay. Things to like think about and look out for. Right. So, um, that was really helpful. So I'm curious about, okay. So you're looking to optimize somebody's sleep, you know, do you have some like key pillars that are like, need to be looked at, not necessarily addressed, but like key pillars that like we must explore in our attempts to optimize sleep. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the gold standard for treating insomnia is actually something called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. So it's a specific form of psychotherapy where we help people understand their behaviors related to sleep and their relationship with sleep truly, because if somebody believes they're a bad sleeper, then they're going to have trouble sleeping. So when we look at all of those aspects, so I don't, I do not. And, and as a naturopathic doctor cannot practice psychotherapy, but my program and approach is CBTI informed. And what led me to become so obsessed and excited about this area is that I'm like, I'll see you CBTI and I will raise you naturopathic medicine because it's such a beautiful illustration of mind body connection in that. Yes. The pillars are things like looking at your daily schedule and your sleep schedule, understanding your body clock, because we actually all have an internal body clock and there's four unique types. Obviously everybody's going to have some variants within that, 
we're most familiar with the concept of like the early bird or the night owl. But if you identify as a night owl, for example, that's your natural tendency, but you have daytime responsibilities like a nine to five job and are always battling that, then we need to look there first and say, okay, we've actually need to do some work on your body clock. We need to make it easier for you to fall asleep earlier because you're always going to bed too late and then waking up after too, too little sleep, right? So that's part of it. Um, understanding our cortisol. Absolutely. And that's often what I'll do with patients is it's often truthfully not necessary to actually test cortisol, but support that process and physiology in the body. And then to look at things like behaviors around bed. So, you know, are you using your phone in bed? Are you watching TV? Do you stay in bed when you are awake? Those are questions I'll ask my patients because it does impact the relationship and associations we have with bed and our ability to sleep. So if we think back to that thing I said at the beginning around your sleep efficiency, we want that to be 85% or higher, meaning we want you to spend most of the time that you're in bed actually asleep. And then I take my patients and people who do my program through a couple of other modules, which might not seem related, but I alluded to them. So blood sugar, so I call it fueling your sleep, because if your blood sugar is erratic during the day, your body's going to have a hard time regulating it at night as well. And that can contribute to either light sleep or waking up and then looking at our mindset around sleep as well. Like I've talked about and our hormones. So I think we've talked a whole bunch about that, but really it's, it's important to understand where is a woman at with respect to our hormones? How are they interplaying with sleep and what do we need to do specific to her pattern and circumstance then that would allow us to support both sides. So support hormones and support sleep. Now, are you using like blood work or is it like, um, hormonal tracking, like more, looking at the cycle and like self-report measures or like, how do you, how do you assess those pieces? Both. So we see that women who track their cycle actually experience less premenstrual syndrome than women who do not track by doing nothing else other than tracking, which is so, which is so incredible to me. And so I encourage patients to track their cycle because you're more informed and in tune with what's happening in your body. And then you can anticipate question. When you say track your cycle, what does that mean? Yeah. So there's fantastic apps out there. Type into your app store, period tracker. I personally use Clue. I have no affiliation. And that allows you to track things like the obvious. So days of bleeding or spotting, cramping, pain, but then also things like sleep changes, breast pain, tenderness, bloating, digestive changes, Um, mood changes, libido changes, all of these things that are related to hormone fluctuations. And so then what we'll see is that women start understanding and anticipating what symptoms are connected to their cycle and when they might be happening. And then again, whether it's sleep or something else, it allows us to strategically modify their treatment plan at different times in their cycle. 
And this is also helpful for women who are starting to notice fluctuations in their cycle. I would say even especially helpful. So for perimenopause, if you start noticing fluctuations in your cycle, either length or flow in terms of it now, all of a sudden it's heavier or it's way lighter or whatnot, then it's, it's so informative because when you can bring that kind of objective data to your doctor or healthcare practitioner, now we can identify patterns. And in the same way, I talked about how women often under underestimate how much sleep they get. We have a terrible ability to recall information. Mm -hmm. So I'll say, if I asked you what you had for dinner last Thursday night, could you tell me, or would you have to sit there and really think about it? You'd have to really think about it. And so um, unless you like, oh no, here's my weekly meal plan. And I, that's what, exactly what we had. So it's the same with tracking your cycle. When we think back, we have a hard time trying to recall what symptoms happened when and for how long and for what intensity. But when you track it and then can bring it forward to be like, look at that every month, two days before I get my period, I always struggle with sleep. Okay. Now we can start to understand what's happening and anticipate that and, and address it. So that's tracking your cycle. So it's not just days of bleeding, but other symptoms that occur. And then um, that will just help us identify basically where you're at and what we, what we can do about it. Yeah. I imagine that would be helpful, but I, I, I am curious um, because it also takes time and like effort to track these things. Um, Although with an app that makes it a little bit easier versus like having to uh, track it on paper. But I imagine you've had some chats about like this, any kind of tips on like how to remember to do this? Yeah. So the app, like you said, makes it a whole lot easier because sometimes we don't recognize what symptoms are actually connected, right? So when you log into your app and it asks you questions, like, did you have any breast pain or tenderness? Or like, you see the different things that you can track. You're like, oh, I wouldn't have thought to take note of that. And I'm sure I don't have mine enabled this way, but I'm sure you could probably have your app prompt you. Like, do you have any symptoms to track today? And what's really neat about these types of technology now is that they get pretty accurate at predicting our future cycles if you're menstruating. So if you're planning a vacation <laughs> yep. or if you're, if you're um, working on your fertility, for example, then you can start to identify things like your fertile window or, oh, I'm going to be on my period. Um, and there's all kinds of other cool and fun stuff that's beyond the scope of this practice, but, or podcast, but you know, when women are ovulating and their estrogen is surging, typically they're like feeling uh, much more outgoing and much more energetic. And there's things like the Nike app now is starting to recognize hormonal fluctuations and their impact on exercise. So you can time exercise differently. If you're an entrepreneur, you can time your marketing efforts differently. It's just really cool. So that's part of how tracking and often, um, you know, you could probably track every couple of days or once a week. It doesn't have to be a daily thing, but if we shorten the time that you're reflecting back, it's more accurate compared to being like over the past three to six months, how often did that happen? Right. Compared you're like, to like oh, I don't over the past know. week. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Yeah. So you've sort of mentioned this like just sort of a couple times, like work with clients, clients in my program. So can we talk about your program? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. So I have a program called the sleep fix and it takes women through understanding all of these things that we're talking about in much more depth so that they can learn what's impacting their sleep and what they can do about it. So I offer that in a group based setting so that you can walk away feeling totally empowered and informed with your about your sleep and all of these pieces. And when you talked about like, do you run blood work for these things? Like I give you lists of blood work to say, this is what I look at with my patients. You can come to me and see that and do that work. Or you can take it back to your own naturopathic doctor or family doctor or other healthcare provider. So, um, it's an incredible program in which I think everybody who has moved through it has started sleeping better. And that's just my my passion and my mission is to help women. Because like I said, at the beginning, if you're not sleeping at night, you're struggling during the day. So it walks people through all of the things that they often don't know about their sleep, because we assume we don't have much control over it. And that's really my goal is to help you walk away feeling totally in control over your sleep pattern so that you can finally get that deep sleep. And we do a deep dive on hormones and we talk about blood sugar and give a sample meal plan. And we do mindset exercises on top of all these pieces. And it's just my favorite thing. So that's available for public. So if you have a, another naturopathic doctor, or if you're not located in Ontario, or if you just want to do a deep dive on your sleep and you can opt into the waitlist right now at the sleepfix.com. Otherwise, if you're interested in doing that approach one-on-one with me, I do work with patients who are in Ontario And uh, hopefully we can link everybody up with my, my contact info, or you can hang out with me on Instagram. Amazing. And yes, of course, all the links to your program, website, um, social media handles will be in the show notes. So if you just go to the description of the podcast, everything will be there easily to get connected. Okay. I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your like years of knowledge and research, you know, with us to give us a, like an outline or an idea of like why this is really important and why you shouldn't wait necessarily yeah. for like a pro- problem to happen, right? Like if you're having a sleep disturbance, like now is a really good time to like look at it. Right. Yeah. Which brings me back. I don't think we actually finished one of the questions when you're looking oh, at yeah. assessments, you were like, what kind of assessments do you do? Is that blood work? So yes, blood work to look at things like hormones. I talked a little bit about cortisol, how often that's not necessary, but looking at things like inflammation and, uh, metabolic function does influence our ability and then nutrient status. Cause like maybe you're just super iron deficient. That makes you feel tired and that impacts your sleep. Maybe you're B12 deficient, vitamin D deficient, maybe your thyroid is under-functioning and that's going to make you feel like you need to sleep all day. And no matter how much sleep you get at night, that (laughs) it's never good enough. And so those are pieces that I look at. And then there's some neat technology that I involve in my practice too. So things like if you do have your own sleep tracker, so I wear an aura ring, um, you can also get some neat apps on your phone. I use a device. It's it's actually a wrist device. It looks similar to an Apple watch, but it's, um, 
really uniquely able, it's FDA approved device to identify sleep apnea at home and monitor your treatment of sleep apnea, because that's a huge implication that is often underdiagnosed in women as well. So, and these things interplay, like if you are overweight and have either pre-diabetes or type two diabetes, or have been told that you're insulin resistant, um, it's a high likelihood that your sleep is compromised. Your compromised sleep is then also impacting your ability to regulate and manage all of those pieces. So it's a vicious cycle, which is why we need to look at these metabolic markers, address those pieces to actually get you better sleep. And that better sleep positively feeds back into that. So there's all kinds of ways that we look at those assessments. I don't do any fancy unnecessary hormone tests. Um, so I'm like really interested in doing a deep dive. What do we need to know? What information can we use appropriately to diagnose and assess what's going on and make a treatment plan that works for you? So that's what I, that's my approach. And that's what I am. I am all about. Amazing. And yeah, thanks for adding in those pieces as well about, you know, the iron, the B12, like, you know, obviously what you're eating can impact, you know, other functions um, in the body. And again, like if sleep may not be the first thing, there may be some other thing that then turns into a sleep thing, right? So um, I think working with somebody who is knowledgeable and qualified, you know, to help you with that is going to help you figure out, okay, what might be the thing that kind of cascaded and like, what are the things we're going to do? So that is to say, if you're having a sleep issue or another health issue that you're like, oh, I'm sleeping okay-ish, but I could be better. Like, please don't wait. Just, just have somebody work, work it out with you. And like, and if you're not like, I don't know if I want to like dive too deeply. Well, then your group program sounds like it's like that great broad spectrum that allows people to like figure out kind of like from a deep, sorry, not a deep, but from like a broad perspective yeah. overview that then if you implement those things, like your sleep and the rest of you feels really good. Awesome. And if not, like then you can go into that deep dive if things still need to be worked on. Right. Exactly. It's all about peeling back those layers and understanding. I'm like, yeah, let's fix your sleep and then see how and what happens to your anxiety. Right. Yeah. Then let's see what happens to your energy. Then let's see what happens to your inflammation. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing this information. Um, Cause I think there are silent sufferers. And so I am going to encourage everybody listening to this podcast if you, you know, you have some women in your life, like, please share this out with them because again, like they may not be talking about it, right. They might look like they got everything together, but meanwhile, you know, are tired inside. So just, this is just good for everybody to know. So share the podcast out, be sure to subscribe. So thanks again, um, Dr. Leah Saunders for coming on to the show. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. And if people want to connect further, I do have my own podcast called the word on the sleep, where I talk all things sleep, do some deep dives on some of these topics. And uh, I love hanging out on Instagram at Dr. Leah Saunders ND. So hope to connect. And if you need or want to fix your sleep, go to the sleepfix.com. 
Amazing. And we'll link the podcast there as well so you can connect easily. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. And we look forward to connecting with you uh, next week. Take care. Hey guys, thanks for hanging out. So as I mentioned at the beginning, we have recently released a free mini training called How to Work with Labor Pain to Have a Positive Birth Experience. And in this mini training, I take you through what pain is, how labor pain is different than like an acute ankle sprain type of pain. I talk about the three different ways that you can work with pain And then at the end, I actually teach three different ways that you can work with labor pain to have a more positive birth experience. If you would like to access this free mini training, you can go to courses.ecophysio.com forward slash mini training, or you can look in the description of today's podcast episode At the end of the description, a link will be there for you to get the free mini training. Hope to connect with you there. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.